Welcome to the Armada podcast, where we are focusing in on DAO governance. Let's hop into the show. If you could start with who you are and what you're working on. My name is Trey Theopterix, and I work at Urine Finance, and also at Coordinate. Cool. And, and for people who may not know the details of Urine, how would you sort of describe it? Urine is a, you know, commonly called a yield aggregator. So we, we create these vaults where you can deposit uh, crypto assets into and earn yield passively uh, with, no, with no impermanent loss in, in general. Um, and um, we create a bunch of different uh, software protocols in the DeFi ecosystem systems. And, and Coordinate is a tool to do consensus finding and in the process of creating uh, decentralized community grants. That's super interesting. I, I would I would love to kind of learn a little bit more about that. Can you can you like what is that? Take that one step down the rabbit hole of more detail. I'd love to kind of love to hear some of that. Yeah. So coordinate was really born out of urine. So so while urine is a yield aggregator, the other thing that's super interesting about urine is that we are a really decentralized and distributed and, and chaotic and organic emergent DAO. You know, it started, you know, out of the ether from one person just giving away all the wifey and calling in all these people to create this organization. There was no organization that was centralized and then it went decentralized. Like the whole thing just emerged from DeFi summer. Um, and as part of that, from the beginning, trying to run it and figure out, like we're all trying to run it, like we're all trying to figure out how to make it go. Um, one of the tensions that arose was how do you do grants? Uh, how do you do payroll? We, you know, we kind of figured all this stuff out from scratch and we've really tried to do it natively to DeFi rather than import, you know, Silicon Valley tactics or, you know, traditional hierarchical firm tactics. You know, we've tried to do it natively in a decentralized and, uh, you know, permissionless fa- feature, but there's certainly pieces that are centralized too. And one of those was grants there, you know, there's a small group of people that, you know, through just a natural process, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're serving urine by making a number of decisions. Um, and one of those was giving grants and um, it was not very efficient. You know, we would uh, uh, struggle every month to figure out who should get the grants. And so we wanted, you know, you realize the people doing the work often know the, the most about who is doing good work. You know, we're all right. doing work. I don't mean somebody else. Um, and you know, so we wanted to make the grant decision process decentralized as much as possible. And when you, and so now everybody that's part of the Yearn network, you know, uh, that is a, a, a kind of trusted contributor to Yearn gets to decide uh, through a, a voting process, not a normal voting process. You have 100 give tokens and you can give those to anybody like doing your own grants allocation. And then we look at the total allocation at the end. Uh, and it's in the uh, the monthly grants budget is distributed to that allocation. So can you take it? So I, I think I have it, but can you take me through? Can you use some like like specific, like give me a hypothetical of like, okay, you know, here, here's a grant and then here's how many of those tokens might might go that way. Can you kind of paint a yeah. hypothetical? Yeah. So let's say you have a small DAO and you've got 10 contributors and, um, you know, you're making some money and you want to be paying, you you want to send out uh, $20,000 a month, you know, is your grants budget to those 10 contributors. Um, instead of going through the process of like, you know, this person gets this much, this person gets this much, you know, with coordinate, all 10 people every month get a hundred give tokens. And at the end of the month, 
they there's a one week epoch where they each person allocates their give tokens to the other people that they're working with. And the best way to do this is not to put yourself in the shoes of a compensation manager, but instead to give tokens based on your direct perception of people's contribution. So if I worked really closely with just three people, you know, I might be giving them all of my tokens because I saw them provide exact provide work. Um, it's not a, it's not supposed to be a speculative process. It's supposed to be just responding to direct insight on, on stuff that you're seeing directly. Interesting. But if enough people do that, then the, the final allocation is quite good, and that's what the uh, the results that we. I, I love that principle of you know yeah don't go in there and just give ten to each person because that makes you you know feel fair and balanced. It's sort of like hey validate what you can validate and. Sometimes you're going to have a wide view and sometimes you're going to have a narrow view and that's okay. And then those tokens are going to be distributed. So in that hypothetical, uh, I'm assuming that then across those 10 people, there might be one person who might have gotten, call it 75% of the tokens. And there might be a person who picked up, you know, 5% or perhaps even, you know, quite near zero. Uh, and then, so that broader 20 K is, is distributed against that percentage basis. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And how long has that been operating? Let's see. I think we've run uh, three epics at uh, Yearn so far. So three months. It's been, you know, we have a, a database-driven tool that we've been, we started developing it um, uh, on a database because we really wanted to test a bunch of different versions of it before we deploy it on chain because we weren't really right. sure how the social dynamic would play out. Um, but we plan to deploy an on-chain permissionless open source version in the coming months that anybody can use, uh, basically awesome. a factory for, for creating your own. So this, so coordinate is the, um, the, 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 the project, let's say, and, uh, the gift circle is the first product and the gift circle is the thing I just described, which is a way for doing, uh, community grants and it can be used for other things too, like, uh, token allocations or budget allocations it's a really good consensus mechanism for a known and trusted team to do asymmetric allocations right right so in your your point with that word there is that if i don't know and like there's a large large group you're saying it starts to break down as you kind of move out of that particular use case yeah and this is one of the territories that we're really interested in with coordinate in general there's so much focus in uh, crypto on trustless systems and adversarial environments, as there should be. But you realize that that's actually the foundational layer. That's like the physics of this new world we're inhabiting. But there are other layers on top of that, and trust is actually important. We don't want to get rid of relationships. We don't want to live in a world... Well, some if you're traumatized as fuck, maybe you do. But you don't have to trust another human being ever. It's actually quite lovely to work with people you trust. Yes. Right? And, uh, and it's okay to trust people. And you know what? It doesn't always work out. <laughs> That's what I'm right. in a therapy session. I mean, this is, uh, you know, you realize that there's all this opportunity for tools to support these trusted groups. And anybody that's working a creative team knows that it's much more about giving to each other, supporting each other, than trying to hammer out a specific, like, ironclad numbers deal, actually. A lot of studies show that, you know, incent using financial incentives to push certain types of work is, is, is counterindicated. It right. creates inverse results. 
Wow. Yeah, I I absolutely love the philosophy that you guys are working on. And it's something that is, is really attracted me to, to kind of the year and why teams thing. And because it's really the catalyst that had got me really wanting to dig into governance and thinking about trust at this kind of second order level that you're talking about. And I love the way you're framing that of like the physics of it, um, because I 100% agree. There is so it's sort of like prisoner's dilemma comes to mind. And there's like, you know, there's all these different things that we've been able to articulate and see. And I love your therapy session about, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's there's some issues not to. But uh, so you've been through three of these. What do you feel like? I mean, you made a comment that you guys have been hosting on a database and wanting to be able to experiment because there's some really interesting social dynamics in there. If you feel like you've learned anything particularly interesting that was different, call it, you know, three months ago to, to today. Uh, you know, I totally spaced on that question because I want to say something about the prisoners. Yeah, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the prisoners dilemma is a great example. And it's like when you put two human beings in separate fucking jail cells and you interrogate them. <laughs> right. You know, that's a different game theory than if you put two human beings in a garden together and you serve them tea. You know, <laughs> yes. Very different decisions. Yes. And, and coordination is going to happen a lot more in the garden. You know, right. defection is going to happen a lot more in the jail cell. And I think there's so much that can happen in the creation of environments, you know, to support this type of stuff. I, I think that what your point is, is, is well taken, because when I talk about prisoner's dilemma, um, one of the things that always comes to my mind is uh, is the mafia and how the mafia has created an incentive and a punishment structure that supersedes the nation state's laws. And I think that's such an interesting paradigm. Uh, and it's sort of to your point about the garden, which is like that's a, it's a it, that's a sort of like the the upside, right? The happy side of, of coordination, whereas prisoner's dilemma is trying to tease out the downside. Um, but the mafia has built for better or worse, uh, pr mostly for worse, uh, uh, this structure, though, that allows them to operate in a different way. And so part of the reasons that they don't you know, snitch on each other is because the upside for the broader organization is much stronger if they work together. And of course, there's violent downsides packed into yeah. there as well. But it's just a fascinating game theory to me to think about how the mafia has sort of, quote unquote, solved that problem. And, and so I 100 percent agree with your, your hypothetical there. Yeah, and I mean, this gets into really interesting theoretical territory. So, you know, if you look at models of human development, like look at Piaget or Jean Gebser or Ken Wilber's work, he's, Wilber's amazing in how he's mapped all of these different, different people's work. And you, you see that, you know, the reason why the mafia can disrupt um, other decision-making systems like a government um, is it's operating at a different level of consciousness. It's operating at an egocentric level of consciousness, a kind of power dynamics uh, where the, the, the operate by fear and intimidation and uh, narcissism, really. But, you know, the modern Western democracies are more of a either, you know, a kind of ethnocentric or a rationalist, uh, trying to be a rationalist at least, but it turns into kind of uh, uh, click warfare or whatever. But um, when those things aren't working, those higher levels of consciousness aren't working well, you revert to these lower levels. These lower levels can really interrupt them. Um, and that's why kind of going back, and kind of rambly, but in blockchain, you need that really strong base layer so that you can build on top without, you know, falling through. Wow. Yeah, that's I'd love to. Uh, we'll add some show notes and some of the links of the, the things that you mentioned there, because um, I think that's a fascinating thing that I personally now want to go read and learn more about as well. But uh, so my question, if I remember 
correctly. Uh, I think what I was asking is you guys have gone through three uh, you know, cycles of this have and you mentioned that having it on a database is that you guys could really experiment with this because there's a lot of social dynamics kind of playing out. Do you feel like you've had some big insights that have changed from kind of that first cycle to the third cycle already? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot about about we've te- basically been using this whole process to test and iterate. And, you know, we've changed the UI around, we've changed the UX around, um, we've added in different pieces, we've proven some of the some of the pieces that we were hoping for. And I think, um, you know, one of the one of the biggest surprises, actually, um, which I really love is, uh, you know, after the first epic ended, I looked at the allocation and I was like, this sucks. This is terrible. I was like, you know, <laughs> this person got way more than they should. And this person didn't get enough. And this curve isn't right. But then you, you talk to all the people and they were all really happy. They're all really happy with it. And, um, you know, I realized, of course, I'm biased, you know, and I had been in the position of Grant's, you know, decider with a number of other people for a while. Um, and maybe that wasn't how I did it. But the takeaway really was that when you are an agent in the decision with comrades working together in a system that gives you power, you know, over the process, the, the outcome doesn't matter as much. You know, so if this person got a little bit more than me, like, you know, if that had happened from a grants committee deciding who is worthy of the money and not, that feels bad. But when you're part of a team that does this in a really, you know, beautiful way, that feels great. I see that. That's that's a amazing insight. And I'm going to I love throwing analogies back at you, but and this is a sports one. And I apologize to most of my listeners who may not be sports people at all. But uh, one of the things I love about basketball is that you get a little bit of that uh, through the team and then the team is winning and then there's things that are happening. It's such a complex and dynamic game that has so many variables in it. And yet it's such a fixated, you know, the, the, the constraints are actually really tight, right? There's, there's the two hoops and the 10 people and like all these things. And, but you get in these really things and the best performing teams, uh, I just, have the same elements of what you just talked about where you know the star player or whatever it is like because you're in it together and there's this element of sharing and winning together and losing together that i think if there were paychecks going around and whatnot that were determined by my teammates that would feel so much better than some random arbitrary owner or general manager saying like oh like this is this is what i think exactly and i, I what an interesting uh, application potentially to, to sports or any any time we have a bunch of humans working together on a shared goal it's like really cool feeling yeah, I think it's a great metaphor. I mean, or or example, like in a in a sport in a basketball team, you know, you don't have time to, you know, as you're moving down the court to think, okay, did this play? How, what's the statistical anal- analysis of this person's last re- receptions to my pass? And like, right, right. You know, did I take this this hoop or whatever? Um, you know, you, the wisdom emerges from the team. You know, right. in a in a in a metacognitive way, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens in all types of teams, not just sports, but you see right. it most in sports because of the time scale and because of the physicality of it. And, you know, working in information work as we do, we can often get way too much in our head and believe that we have to control all of these things. But actually, if you let go of a lot of this control into systems that, you know, provide some of the same aesthetics as a basketball situation, um, that same type of wisdom can emerge between people. I, lo- I love the letting go piece. I, it's certainly, it certainly, it strikes me 
around the human condition and how our psychology and then you add in the fact that we're working with code and so we do by definition have so much control in this space right and it's like every every great engineer i've ever met you know like they 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 have that mentality right because it's like well if i can just code it and structure it right like why wouldn't it you know like Go, taking my great uh, engineering team from my from my last startup, you know, like bowling and, you know, to putting ranges, it's like amazing how the mechanical mind's like, all right, well, I can just solve this if I have a container, you know, like you're not wrong, but yeah. there's also a lot of like art to it. And I love that. It's like, how does the mind want to control that? And by actually letting go, you actually can can achieve that. That's awesome. I am super, I didn't know about the project actually before we even sat down on the podcast. And I am, I am fascinated. I think that is a incredibly, incredibly important building block to think about governance broadly in compensation yeah. and the grant pieces like that is really really exciting you well, I mean, it, yeah it fits in with the governance 2.0 stuff too because it's like you know if you were just looking at DAOs, you would think okay a DAO is a system where you have an arbitrary number of people that hold arbitrary numbers of tokens and they use those to vote on single propositions functional math um and that's that is just one form of computational social choice in one engineering implementation. And there are so many other ways to do that. And, you know, we haven't even really, there's very few, you know, we're just starting to scratch to try all these different things. A little bit of a warning here. The audio quality drops pretty significantly in this kind of final third of the podcast. And so what we decided to do is we did a bonus episode and we do a full deep dive into Governance 2.0, which is the main topic that we get into as the audio quality drops. So if you're listening to this and it's starting to get a little unbearable, just head over to the next episode and we go deep, high quality, check it out. Yeah, and that's part of what excites me about governance broadly is that the problem space is very, very large and yet we are just, just scratching at it. You, you made a comment that, you know, you could think about the product that we just talked about as kind of being the first product into that problem space. I like, do you have ideas of the other sub problem spaces or products that you guys are potentially interested in scratching? Yeah, I mean, we have a whole we have a whole list of stuff that we want to coordinate philosophy, you know, from, um, for, you know, coordinate is is geared as it is right now. The gift circle is for community grant. But then we also want to look at salary. We want to look at investing, look at payroll. We want to look at contractor payment. Um, and you can use the same theory really to to implement all of these and not saying that we know exactly how to do that yet there's a lot of questions to answer but you know through some of the brainstorming and, and thinking we've done i mean there's some really exciting potential to use for instance market dynamics and nested layers of, of trusted groups you know working at different levels of the problem um you can get some really cool outcomes yes it's, it's- you made a comment prior around, you know, thinking about, you know, trustless and permissionless and um, some of those types yeah. of things and how you guys are really establishing and pioneering a bit of the of the code that is kind of going against and kind of moving up that next layer of foundation that you outlined. And I find that when I talk to random people, you know, friends from, from my life, not non-crypto life in my family, whatever it is, it's like the number one concern almost always to your point is sort of this there's always this concern about adversarial behavior and like you know it's like well how do you know if someone doesn't steal it all like you know my dad's fear of bitcoin is that well it's like code and can be hacked and everyone's going to steal it all i'm like well like it's it's not quite you know you use the pipeline uh being hacked as is as, as a proof point that anything can be hacked right it's like yeah. so, such a different thing but like how do you guys think about like this adversarial and you made the comment around you know these 10 groups of 10 people 
like, do you think as that circle gets bigger and bigger that that's you could sort of have to trade in this idea of the adversarial kind of attack space as being a more and more important? Like, is it a number thing or is it like a coordination thing or like, does that question make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of layers to this. You know, if you're walking in the jungle and every stick you see, you you jump for your life because you snake, you know, you're not going to be a very effective hunter, you know, or community member. Um, so we have to get, we have to look at different situations and realize is an adverse situation or is it not? Um, you know, if, you know, Bitcoin, uh, crypto, like, you know, we've, the focus has been on adversarial, right? And that, for a good reason, because we're starting from scratch here, you know, and, you know, the physics, the underlying level of the stuff is crazy fucking shit show of, of, of animals eating each other. And that is adversarial and that needs the right environment. But, you know, a team of 10 friends working together is not an adversarial environment. It can tend into that. We shouldn't say that there's no conflict, but it's a really different area. And there's a gradient of these different things. So it doesn't make any sense to try and implement, you know, the most hardcore trustless system for a teamwork. And it doesn't make sense to implement like a gift circle, you know, for validating blocks. Right. Um, and just a really different system, different for different systems. Yeah, I, I, I like that framing a lot. Um, it reminds me a little bit. I'm, I kind of come from the Silicon Valley startup world and, and this I'm a new journey into this. And uh, I feel like, you know, one of the simplest pieces of advice I get from, from people thinking about founding something is, you know, they're like, well, I talked to my uncle and he was like, go hire a lawyer and like, you know, get every legal document outlined and dotted and signed before you even talk about the idea. And it's like, it's actually not how it works at all. It's like normally yeah. sometimes you just like send an email to a person like, hey, man, we're going to kind of do this 50-50. Sound good. Just reply. Like now we both have a record of an email that just casually said we're going to split this thing roughly 50-50 and let's just go fucking work on it. <laughs> and then we'll go do the lawyers and figure out like that'll happen at scale with success. But like, let's say so to your point, like the scoping is so important about yeah. who are you talking about and when? Because there are other times where you're totally right that all that legal paperwork is incredibly important. Well, it's so interesting, like, you know, because I think, because blockchain is what it is, because it is trustless at the foundation, it really enables far more trust on top. And you see that working in DeFi. Like, you know, I've, I've run normal companies in the past. You know, I've, I've started entities. I've, hired many lawyers i've hired dozens of people um and uh you don't need all of that like i have no contract you know there's no con there's no legal entity you know, <laughs> you know like they could stop paying me tomorrow and there's i have no recourse and that's fine that's it's right. way better <laughs> it's, yeah it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah. really it is yeah um so i want to talk why teams um like, obviously, like, I don't know exactly how white teams came about, but I've obviously I'm, I'm hearing a lot of your, you know, your values and your principles and like, and how the kind of the team that you're working with is thinking about these things. So I can imagine a lot of that. But like, how do you see white teams sort of broadly in this broader ecosystem? Yeah, so white teams was, uh, you know, coined by a game who's my co-author, the uh, governance 2.0 spec, we spent a uh, long time working on this. There's a lot of other people that contributed to it. At year. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of a long story. Um, so please interrupt me and I'll try and do it uh, 
concisely. You know, when, when Yearn started, it was a, uh, it was like the Big Bang, you know, there was the Inflaton field, a Wi-Fi distribution, and there was just this chaotic was particle soup of people working together, and there was very little organization. And, you know, very quickly you feel, you realize it's hard to make types of decisions. We, um, we created, uh, you know, what we call the constrained delegation model of governance, you know, and, and you know, a lot of teams use this in, in different ways, but you know, we had a multi-sig and they could make a lot of decisions. So generally multi-sigs, uh, which is a Gnosis safe multi you know, like let's say in the case of urine, um, there are nine signers and six of them have to for a transaction to become executable. And, you know, a lot of teams just use that, as, you know, as a safety valve or something or, but we use it as an operational uh, mechanic mechanism, actually a safety valve, but with operational. So instead of having, so we, we did one of the first big things I did when I joined your wrote with substrate and uh, Van Spencer and Bulltrap Franklin and a bunch of different people. We wrote uh, yep 41, which was to temporarily empower the multi-sig. And so we, we scoped out a bunch of stuff that we knew we wanted to move fast on, like hiring and stuff, all these tensions that you're in that because we didn't have fast enough, agile enough, trusted decision-making process. And so we used the multi-sig to do this. But as it turned out, the nine signers of the multi-sig weren't actually decisions. The nine signers of the multi-sig were really trusted people in the DeFi space with high integrity and a lot of... So they're not going to rub you, right? Like you can't, if those six people decide to steal the money, like they would never would because these are, you know, their reputations are worth so much. Right. Um, but they weren't on the ground doing all the work. Other were. And these other teams were organically emerging to do the work, make the decision, and they'd hand that off to the multi-sig to execute. And so the multi-sig was then spending more of a verification integrity role. Like, is this make sense within the scope of urine's kind of mandate? Um, is this... Uh, you know, going to fuck something up. Is this, uh, you know, is this um, just making sure it's a, it's a reasonable transaction and which, you know, all of them are. Um, and sometimes some, actually there's been a couple cases where they were made poorly in the multi-sig um, And so this process of these empowered teams had already happened. And so we, uh, you know, we wrote Governance 2.0 based on that emergent process. And this is one of the most beautiful things about working on governance at Yearn is that we work bottom up, you know, and top down. We have an active with real needs and real tensions. We're not just speculating and navel gazing and, and creating a structure based we think should happen. We're creating a structure based on what's actually happening. And um, the Y teams just reifies that emergent process of teams together um there's a lot more there but let me pause for a second yeah it's fantastic background i was, was certain certainly curious on how that emerged and so this like how would you think about so i, I love the governance 2.0 piece and i think that's clearly where this is going um you know but i the other piece that i sort of always want to ask is how do you think about people who might be like well you were kind of slowly but surely 
adding the feelings and the human need of sort of this idea of centralization by coordinating in these ways. Like, do you see this as a fundamentally different thing because of the way that the foundation is structured as compared to the kind of the centralized world? Yeah, I think short answer would be kind of yes, but it requires a lot of discussion to understand why. But I think the first thing is that um, it's not a binary monolithic space where decentralized is good and centralized is bad. It's a gradient. And, uh, and it's actually a very active where things flow back and forth. And then there's things that are uh, kind of in the light and consciousness and clear and transparent and the shadow and background that are maybe not hidden, but not immediately. And if you look at any of the DAOs uh, around right now, there are these kind of hidden trusted relationships behind them. And I'm not saying hidden in a uh, nefarious way, but they're just hidden because, you know, nobody's communicating them or like it's hard to see them. Certainly some, you know, people don't want to expose, but uh, not saying conspiracies is just, that's how humans work. They create telegram groups. They start working on things. Power accrues to different people and different. Uh, so maybe your voting mechanic looks super decentralized. But the truth is, when you examine it, um, and but decentralized is extremely valuable for many, many reasons beyond the scope of this conversation. Um, one way is just you know with the proper structure a decentralized creature just is more effective. And I, I really start to think of these things as organisms. You have to look to nature to get the, the, the right references here. And, um, you know, sure, you have, you have a lot of neurons in your brain, but, you, you know, a, uh, a cat heart in your, you've got a, a, a cat brain in your heart and you have a rat brain in your stomach, you know, you've got more <laughs> all your, your body. Um, and beyond that, the muscles have an important role. Everything has, it's very decentralized. Doesn't all happen in the control room. Um, we end up recreating uh, echoing structures, right? So a multi-sig and a coin holder echoes a board of directors and a shareholder community. But they're not the same. Um, they have different kind of uh, centralization, decentralization properties. But my favorite way to analyze any of these through the you know, you, instead of thinking about the structures, consensus mechanisms, think about what decisions need to be made and what are the variety of decisions? What are the features of that decision? Some decisions need to be made quickly. Some impact many people. Some impact few people. Some decisions can be open for anyone to make. Some need to be limited, Some need time locks. And then you see that what you, you really need a bunch of different consensus, different things. And it's the same thing that happens in you know, the board of directors and the executive team and the staff and the shareholders, they all are good at making different types of decisions. Um, one of the problems is, you know, these things are based on this kind of foundational layer of, of, of governments, armies, legal apparatus that, you know, we're trying to supplant with, uh, with crypto. Right. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the same types of decisions we do. All right. Right. And so you're going to have some of the same type of structures are different. And one of the things that we're trying to do with Y teams is to uh, packetize these different pieces, create objects, you know, by naming the world you have control over, by 
by creating objects for these different features of this new emergence making then you can have decentralized control so at urine the decision making power are going to be nfts soon you know each different decision making power is can be traded within a, a decision making space a network um, oh, wow. and you've got different groups that can become empowered through specific decentralized processes under the control of coin holders but instead of the coin holders now voting on every small discrete decision which fit that consensus they can vote on these more granular legos to to have to control how the entire machine so let me let me stop and unpack that for a second because my mind's a little blown at this uh, for the moment so when you say that these decision making elements mm -hmm. are can be kind of packaged up into an nft my brain kind of goes into the in like video game world and I'll I'll save us the analogy but like what I'm picturing is like oh I have like this badge or I'm part of this group that has this badge that allows us to make a particular type of decision or or speed or like whatever it is because that subgroup owns an NFT and so you're saying that the like the broad token holders are sort of like voting for this like NFT allocation that's like kind of moving around that gives the control. Like, did I get that at all close? That's exactly right. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So, so can you give an example of just like what a hypothetical two different yeah. types? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe using a toy uh, DAO instead of like urine, which because urine sure. is complicated, but so let's say you've got a new DAO that's implementing the deck, um, you know, and you, you know, you have a group of people and they are making, about, uh, about budgets, right? So they are, you know, looking at, you know, all the income coming in and they're making a budget, for, you know, that this team gets this much, this. Um, you know, in Governance 2.0, you know, that team, any anybody could be doing that. Now they can make, be making those decisions, but those decisions, right? They could be, they could be doing the work you know, and say, hey, here's a proposal. Here's how I think the budget should be for us. But then, you know, maybe, you know, if it's governance 1.0 idea, then the token holders have to vote on it and whatever, right? In governance 2.0, that team, you know, if it's working effectively, it can say, it can make a proposal to be given, the, to create a new power for itself. It can say, we want a power that says we control the budget. So we have the make budget power. And YFE holders or the token holders would vote on that and they would mint that new power, which would be an NFT, which would be attached to their Telegram group. And now there's specifics. They can create their own consensus through that group. And let's say it's a, in this case, let's say it's a Gnosis safe multi and they have a three of five multi-sig and they've got five people that are empowered, you know, to be signers on this multi within the specific scope of that power. All they can do is decide on the budget split. And now they have that power and they're executing it. And so they make the budgets and they, they send the transactions and the different amounts of money go to the different teams that they've decided. And now let's say that they're not doing a great job. Um, there's a couple things that can happen. You know, there's a few different types of levers. The, the token holders can vote to and send that NFT power, decision-making power back to token holders, or give it to a different team, or censure it. And furthermore, you can, the token holders could vote to 
signers on that team because those signers aren't doing a good job. Or they could vote to create a change team signers power and give that power to a different team. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That is that is awesome. I am so excited for that world. Um, and and I've I've ha- I feel like I've had some of these feelings. I, you certainly put way better words to any of these feelings and emotions that I have. But this NFT thing, I just I never crossed my mind that you could use that as an actual technical solution to that problem. And that is just so awesome to hear. So, um, I completely forgot to ask you the yeah. traditional question, which is which fictional character would you like to have dinner with? That would be Lieutenant Commander Data from Star oh, Trek. What a great answer. What a great answer. What would you want to ask him? Just are there a couple questions you'd want to rattle off right from the get go, or just oh, you just want to talk to the guy? Man, I mean, I would just ask him so many things. You know, yeah. like like what just any question. Like, what do you do today? <laughs> what did you <laughs> weird? And then you'd ask another question. You'd be like, well, I downloaded the latest, you know, violin, you know, when I'm practicing and like, oh, yeah, man, I just so I'm, I'm just I'm working through Star Trek and I'm doing a show guide. So I'm basically only watching the episodes that are like good. Uh, and I just wrapped uh, Star Trek Next Generation. This is my first like deep dive into Star Trek. So I started with the original series and now I'm in Deep Space Nine. And so anyways, but I, I really miss uh, data from from the uh, next gen next gen he's, he's the best yeah star trek next generation is like a happy place i've watched the series a few times and um i'm a huge sci-fi nerd and i just i, I love that that world it's a great place. it's so great i i i got into it late but um just the philosophical debate i mean i'm preaching literally to the wrong choir i'm sure everyone in the audience is like yeah dude like you're like 20 years too late to star trek so i will just stop uh pumping up how amazing it is but uh well i sincerely appreciate you joining the pod and, and going down the rabbit hole and uh, so many interesting things that I, I need to unpack and uh, i'm going to add show notes to a bunch of the things that you mentioned as well so any listeners listening like we will have a bunch of different links so people can dig in and, and learn more but if you could just remind everyone uh, uh, where to find you and point them uh, in the in the direction that you like. Yeah, probably the best place is Tracheoptrix on Twitter. Cool. Thanks again for joining. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Armada podcast. We would greatly appreciate a review in your favorite podcast player. And if you want to stay in the loop even further, head to armada.fm where we have a repo. You can check out what we're doing and what we're learning along the way. Love to see you there. Thank you.